this week on a lively experiment. The end is in sight for the Raimondo administration. What will her legacy be as governor? And Rhode Islanders have an election next week, but with no candidates. We talk to a local expert about the seven bond questions that will be on the ballot. A lively experiment is generously underwritten by for more than 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen-White, Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program in Rhode Island PBS. Joining us for the analysis, corporate communications consultant and former TV news anchor, Dave Lehman. Susie Yankee, chairwoman of the Rhode Island Republican Party. And WPRI Target 12 investigator, Tim White. Hello, everyone. We appreciate you spending part of your weekend with us. Well, this time next week, we may have a new governor. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. But first, after a rocky start, the state's COVID vaccination program has seen some improvements over the last week, in part because the federal government is giving more vaccinations to the state here and nationwide. Still, there have been some bumps with some older people still trying to figure out how to navigate websites and, of course, the inevitable younger people cutting the line. Tim, let me start with you. It was uh, your station that uh, famously asked Harvard to give us a grade. The grade came back not so good. So tell me, what, what do you think has changed? It's changed pretty dramatically over the last week. Why? Well, I think it depends on who you ask. If you ask the Raimondo administration, they're gonna, they have said that, look, this is the plan all along. We're taking a targeted approach so we can uh, reduce hospitalizations, we can reduce fatalities, and then they're gonna really speed up in how they get the, the vaccine out. But I think if you listen to others, uh, and if you look to our South in Connecticut, they took a different approach and they decided we're gonna get out vaccines to everyone as quickly as possible and, and just spread it from there. And look, hospitalizations and fatalities are also going down in Connecticut. But it, as you point out, more of uh, vaccines are coming into the state. And now we have some uh, you know, mass vaccination sites that are online. So we're seeing more and more people uh, get vaccinated. And I will tell you, a week ago, the emails, social media into Channel 12, they were very grim. We are now seeing a different tone as more people are getting vaccinated. Sue, so do you think they heard uh, the cries or do you, you know, Tim had talked about maybe this is the game plan all along. What are you hearing in your community from people trying to get vaccines? What I'm hearing is this is just like everything else that Raimondo has touched in the state, that it was an utter disaster. You know, we know who was most impacted by this virus and it was the elderly. So we don't disagree with that was a, a pretty good targeted approach, but it just was a disaster from the get-go. So we've heard a lot about that. I mean, my mom is 100 years old and she hasn't been vaccinated yet. So it hasn't been perfect, the vaccine rollout. Dave, what's your view? I'll take a little bit of a different view, and it's one that I haven't expre heard expressed by other people. So I, I may be the lone ranger on this. I think Romano started off very strong uh, with, with the, this COVID approach. Uh, I think they fumbled it along the way. Um, I will tell you this, that back in January, in, uh, July, when she decided not to have the daily briefing and go to weekly briefings, right in the middle of summer travel here and all of that, I wrote her a letter. I told her I thought that was a big mistake. I congratulated her on doing a great job up to that point, 
But I thought that she should have kept the, the public eye every day on a podium that she was behind and that the uh, director of health was behind, giving people an update and also keeping this as top of mind, what to do and so forth. I think that was a mistake. But the, the, the point that, that I haven't heard other people make is Rhode Island, many people don't know this, we are the 14th most elderly state in the country based on you know population and uh, and and you know that sizing and we are a very compact state uh, people who have relatives in Pawtucket or Central Falls visit people that they know in Warwick so the opportunity for let's say contamination or exposure is much greater in this state than say in Texas and I've worked in some of these other larger communities we have unique problems here because of our compact size and we are a very social state. And I think that created problems for us and maybe some of the other states didn't have. But I think, I think Ramondo, I think she did the right thing when she saw that Central Falls, Pawtucket, some parts of uh, Providence were really hit hard by this. You know, I think, I think that was the right approach. Now, whether they handled it well, that's a different issue. But I think that that was a good idea. The whole idea is, the old saying is, why do robbers steal money from banks. It's where the money is. Same thing with this. I think you, if you've got these extraordinary areas where there's an awful lot of, uh, you know, COVID showing up, I think you have to attack that because again, Rhode Island being a bit unique because you've got this capability of spreading it throughout the state very quickly because we are compact. I think that was the right idea. Maybe carrying it out, she lost uh, some points there, but I think initially I think that was the right thing to do. You know, Tim, I, I also wonder our compactness. A lot of people are like, why can't we get this right? It's a million people have a central thing. And you've seen a little cracks in the armor with Dan McKee. So now, really, it looks Ramundo's uh, confirmation hearing set for next week. It looks like Dan McKee could be taking over pretty shortly. I wonder, in your mind as a reporter, and as I sit there at the stage at the Vets, whether you think, you know, he's insisted we're going to keep the same crew on. You wonder what's going through his mind, though, because he's always been big on let's let the mayors do it and have the cities and towns do it. And I'm not sure that's the answer here either, to have like so many cooks in the kitchen on the vaccination rollout. I'm in lockstep with you on this one, Jim, uh, which isn't always. Uh, the <laughs> Yes, of course, you're right. Uh, Dan McKee does like to de defer to cities and towns. Why? Because he used to be mayor of Cumberland, and that's in his fiber. But I do think there's a risk of a disparate impact here with that approach. Uh, in other words, we have a patchwork of ways for folks to get vaccinated right now. And I can tell you, we hear from them here. And there's a lot of confusion, especially with the older population in this state. Do I go to CVS, Walgreens? Do I go to my city or town? Or do I do one of these state max, uh, vac vaccination sites? And so if you're going to lean more into municipalities to do it, I think there's a risk that the disparate impact will be some communities are going to do it really well and some communities aren't. And that will be the haves and have nots. Um, so it might not turn out that way. You'll need a lot of state support if you're going to, again, lean into munici municipalities. But as you point out, we're a pretty compact state. Um, I think the school of thought of why don't we centralize it um, is one that is a very popular uh, school of thought. Because the state site, when those opened, those two mass vaccination sites opened, uh, that seemed to be relative, especially to the way Massachusetts did it, that seemed to operate pretty smoothly. Hey, so you know, I think, uh, uh, go ahead, Dave. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with what Tim is saying here. You know, not all 
municipalities are created equal. Not everybody is going to be able to do this well. Now, this isn't like economic development, where if you don't do it quite right, you're, you're really just impacting, for the most part, your community. If you don't get this right, there's life and death at stake here uh, in the community next to you, the community across the, the, the bay or whatever. There's so much at stake here. And, you know, uh, Trump was leaving the uh, can, uh, pandemic to the, uh, to the states, and, and that, was a, that was a huge mess. I, I think this is something that requires some standards that are applied to all of the communities to be sure that each community is handling this right because again this isn't about just dollars and cents this is about life and death and i think this has got to be done right or this is going to continue on and on and then rhode island suffers because of the economic impact of it the death impact and so forth so i think it really has to be done done well i think it has to be done right and i know People in this state don't like to hear regionalization or, or uh, you know, uh, coalescing behind one thing. They like to have their own little communities doing things. That's why we've got school issues the way we do. We need to have this done right, and it needs to be. I think it really needs to come from the top. I think Dan McKee will do a great job of implementing this, uh, even though this may not be his preferred way of doing it. But I think it really needs to come from a centralized location. We got to get this right. Sue, I also wonder beyond the vaccinations with McKee coming in, uh, there are going to be changes. They have different styles. Clearly, they're not uh, the same people in many ways. That's the big question. How do you think things are going to look different across state government with a new governor coming in, Dan McKee? Well, I think Dan McKee's big focus when he was lieutenant governor was taking care of small businesses. So I think with the vaccine rollout to getting these small businesses the help that they need to get them back up to speed, he has been very town and uh, city focused to let the cities and towns do it. But I agree with the two gentlemen, Tim and Dave, about the vaccine rollout. This probably is not the most appropriate thing. There'd be too many cooks in the kitchen. Um, I also think he has to look at certain areas about how we go about regionalization. Um, again, Dave is right. There are certain cities and towns that manage their budgets and their facilities perfectly and there are others that aren't but we're very hopeful he understands small businesses which are such a large part of the economy in rhode island so we're hopeful that he hits the ground running i mean i think for six years he's been ignored by the Ramondo administration so um we're hopeful to see what he does of course we could spend probably the next two hours dissecting uh, Governor Raimondo's legacy. Dave, let me begin with you. I think a lot of people for, uh, look, it's going to be mixed. She has six years as governor, four years as general treasurer. I wonder, as you look at the totality, a lot of people have said the way she's kind of been there, hung on, but not really been there the last eight weeks could overshadow a lot of what the good she has done. That, of course, could be, you know, history will look at it differently, maybe down the line. But I wonder what your thoughts are about her really not being front and center the last eight weeks. A lot of people are just like, let's let's see her go quickly. Yeah, uh, I've really, really, really been disappointed with the governor in the way she's handled this since her uh, Commerce Secretary nomination has been before the, uh, the Senate. Uh, you know, you're governor. You were elected governor. And uh, while you didn't have, you know, uh, an overwhelming mandate when you were elected, you have been a governor for two terms. I think you have to take those responsibilities very seriously. I think you need to continue to perform 
uh, at least uh, with the public and with the media, the way you have been. For her to go dark on this, I was very disappointed. I think that was a big mistake from a communications point of view. I think it made her look look a little weak. Like, I, I don't know why she did that. I don't know whether she was told to do that by the Biden people or whether she thought, you know what, I, I don't want this nomination to get screwed up because I have a slip of the tongue or I say something or whatever. So I think that this has been a big mistake on her part. Uh, the other thing about Ramondo, and I think the COVID crisis is, is probably going to stay deep into the minds of most people because it is a life and death issue and we've all been affected by it. I think that is probably going to be uh, when she departs. I think people will remember her mostly for what she's done with that. And those who have a pretty good memory will remember what she did for the pension plan. She had the courage to, back when she was treasurer to try to get the pension situation straightened out. And uh, I still give her credit for that because that was a very brave thing to do. Some would argue we had no choice. Well, we've had no choice for many, many decades and she finally did something about it. I think her legacy is gonna be mixed. I think it'll probably be dependent upon how people feel, how she handled the pandemic. She started strong, maybe she'll end up strong, but she's got a week or so probably before she'll be, uh, I would imagine going off to Washington. Tim, the irony is that uh, she told your colleague Kim Kalunian that the Biden people had not put a muzzle on her and she kind of wanted to give the reins to Dan McKee. I don't get this whole deal about worried about a slip. She did 125 briefings by her count. We questioned her. A lot of people say, oh, did you have to submit your questions? We were giving it to her out of left field. You know Gina Raimondo. We've seen her off camera. She can be very charming. She's obviously smart. And I, I thought there was a bit of a disconnect there about trying to protect her. She's the governor of a state. She's not the head of a corporation that can just kind of go to the side. And I, I've never been able to figure out why the last eight weeks, whether that was her or Washington. I think her explanation to my colleague, Kim Kalunian, that it wasn't the Biden administration had not asked her to do it uh, was dubious. And you're right, Jim, she can handle her own. She's a Rhodes Scholar. We've interviewed her hundreds of times, and uh, she's had some pretty tough press conferences. So she's quick on her feet and can handle that. All we need to do is look up north to uh, Mayor Marty Walsh and see the same thing was happening there. He is uh, also uh, on the Biden cabinet, and uh, he would attend the briefings but not answer any questions. So um, I think we have a common thread there, and that common thread is the Biden administration. So that answer to uh, Kim was suspect. And whether or not, I do not think that's going to affect her long-term uh, history. I think it's a blip on the radar. People will remember more knock it off than her silence in her uh, final eight weeks. But I will say the Raimondo administration forfeits their right to complain about their coverage if they're not going to be active in it. Yeah, true. So what about the, the longer picture with Gina Raimondo? I think we can all say it's Gina Raimondo is number one and Rhode Island is number two. Um, I disagree with Dave about the pensions. You know, she came in and yes, identified a problem, but then the money went to Point Judith. So she was benefiting from that. We talk about UHIP, DCYF, the TCI gas that is going to terribly impact Rhode Islanders. So her legacy is not mixed. It's it's not good. And, and I agree with Tim that she is a very bright woman. Um, the Biden administration may have told her not to say anything. I know she went into a full-blown panic when we talked about Brett Smiley and soliciting donations, and she's his number two. She was very worried about how that was going to impact her confirmation hearing. But quite frankly, we all know the Democrats own 
the, the Senate, and she's going to sail through. So it's really horrible that she sat around and hasn't resigned. She's going to get confirmed. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind that she will. So resign and give the keys to the kingdom to Dan McKee. He deserves the opportunity to, to move on and get this state on the right path. So yeah. you know, I, I disagree with your with with the resignation idea. I, I think that would be smooth. I think that would be good in many ways. But think about this. You know, politics, and you you've been in politics a while. You know, there are last minute hangups that you that nobody can predict. And if she were to resign as governor, and something were to happen <laughs> with her commerce secretary nomination. She's sitting there with nothing. I mean, I don't blame her. I wouldn't resign until I had it right on, you know, had my right hand up and say, okay, or whatever the process would be. I wouldn't relinquish. I mean, I think that would be foolish for her to, uh, to give up the governorship uh, until she's confirmed. I mean, I, I think that would be suicidal, even though it does look like it's going to be a, a shoe-in. But then, you know, you, you never know. If something surfaces, eh, she could be in trouble. And I, I don't blame her. And in, in the meantime, we're all sitting around waiting because she's not answering questions. She's not being forthright with Rhode Islanders. So who's impacted? Oh, boy. Gina That's Ramundo a different issue, though. That's a different issue, and I agree yeah, with no, that. G Gina Raimondo is impacted. She's a smart, intelligent woman. If she doesn't get Commerce Secretary, she made this choice to accept that nomination. I am sorry. Resign from the office. Move on. If you don't get it, you know, terrible if something impacts her that she doesn't get confirmed, which, what is there, a 0.001% chance that she's not going to get that job? Rhode Island needs a leader. Let Dan McKee take over right now. Yeah, this is I, the longest transition in history. Yeah, and I always thought that, um, look, if it was a Republican Senate, I think there might be some concern. You had a Republican senator, a senator from the deepest red state, Mississippi, who chaired that subcommittee who said, I don't think you're going to be governor much longer. So Ted Cruz can make all the noise. But I, in this case, I agree with Sue. And you know what? This is not in the governor's DNA, but she has been absolutely flat out for a year. Why wouldn't you resign, make the clean cut, Take three weeks to be with your kids. It's not going to get any easier as Commerce Secretary. Go look for an apartment in Georgetown or whatever. But I, I just, I kind of wondered that. And I, I know it's not over till it's over, Dave. But I just thought that, I just thought that it's so almost locked in. Why not just take a little break before you go to Washington? But that's clearly her choice. Sure. Jim, what do you one toe in Rhode Island and the rest of her body in Washington D.C. And who is it fair to? She was elected to be governor of Rhode Island, and she is not doing that job. Well, and she's not paying attention. Well, you know, listen. Uh, obviously, I'm very critical of her being under wraps over the last eight weeks. I'm, I'm someone who thinks she is abdicating her job when she is not uh, answering questions to the to the uh, to journalists. Why? Because journalists serve the community in which they report, where their eyes, ears, and voices of, of the people. But um, and we have access to the governor. That said, you know, I think on the flip side. Uh, you know, to, to Sue and Jim, that if if she immediately stepped down or she had stepped down much earlier, Jim, as you suggest, there will be there would have been a group of people that said, look, she left right in Rhode Island's um, height of need during a pandemic and she just up and left so she could go to Cancun with Ted Cruz. Um, otherwise, you know, uh, I think if you were in the Raimondo administration, they're saying, and they have said, look, we're doing the work behind the scenes. She's still making important policy decisions, which again is why I found her answer to Kim Kalunian dubious. But she's saying that we're doing that work 
we're just not doing the Q and A's that, that we used to do. So well, and, I, I think what, it's, a, it's a tough position for her either way. And what would have solved that problem was get up on the stage at the vets every week. Yeah, and we wouldn't have had any questions at all. So you get the last word because I want to move on. So go yeah, ahead. I was just going to say communication is the most important role of the governor. Communication. And she's not doing that. Absolutely. Okay, folks, you may not know this. We have an election coming up next Tuesday. No, there are no candidates. For the first time, this is going to be a bond issue only election. You may have gotten that little green packet in the mail. What is this all about? Well, folks, there's a lot at stake here. $400 million. It's the largest bond issue package. This didn't go through last fall because they had not passed the state budget. So long story short, you're either going to the polls or doing early voting or mail balloting. I sat down this week with Mike DBAs. He's the head of RIPEC, the Rhode Island Public Expenditures Council, the business back kind of think tank. They don't take a position on the bonds, but he, I asked him, look, we've always had a huge debt load in this state. What about that? And some of the specific things like giving to nonprofits. Here's a little bit of my interview with Mike. It's um, acceptable and customary for states like corporations to borrow for capital projects. I think what you don't want to happen is to use bonds to pay for operating. And some states have done that, New Jersey, for example, which um, is not fiscally responsible. But if you're borrowing for a long-term asset, um, it makes sense. You feel most comfortable when you're paying for assets that become assets of the state. It's a less conventional approach to use taxpayer money to essentially improve assets that belong to their parties. The Philharmonic, Trinity Rep, that type of thing, those are nonprofits, and now we're investing. Is that some of the pause right. that you have? I think, you know, I think there's some, certainly some pause you want to look at that. Those are relatively small, they're matching grants. We don't have otherwise state money going to those things in a very large way. So, I, you know, I think on that one, you, you look at that, those organizations have been hurt a great deal in the pandemic. But I do think you need to look more closely at that. Rhode Island does fairly well compared to states. I mean, we're not in the top half in terms of debt, but we're not near the bottom either. So we're, we're, we're doing well, particularly on the state side. The municipal side is not as great with some cities and towns, but Definitely the state side, we've improved a lot. And that's a credit to um, the assembly and the governor and the treasurer and, you know, and taking uh, sound action over time. So let me begin with you. You told uh, Patrick Anderson, you had some thoughts for Patrick Anderson. He did a political scene uh, earlier this week in the journal. Why don't you relay for the rest of us what you told him? Well, I just think that this is a terrible time to, to go out and bond more money. You know, we always have to look at our debt limit. I know that when I sat on the town council in my municipality, we were always worried about our debt limit. Are we taking on too much debt? And yes, it's, sometimes it is a great idea to bond out for capital projects, but I'm not sure that during the past year with the pandemic, that this is the appropriate time to take on this bond. It also speaks to the General Assembly being completely uh, vacant or absent last year. And it's the reason why this election has to take place in March and it didn't make it on the uh, ballot in November. So it speaks to a lot of different issues 
but I also think it's the wrong time, even though they're saying the interest rates may be low. Well, we don't know that until we go out to bond exactly what the interest rates are going to be, but we anticipate that this is going to cost $641 million. I just don't think it's the appropriate time to bond out for all of these uh, things. And that, that doesn't say that I don't agree that these are all good projects. I'm just not sure the timing is right. Tim? Well, you know, I think the as as the chair of the GOP said there that the um, you know interest rates are very low right now. Certainly, Rhode Island isn't alone in in terms of going out to borrowing right now, which is also why we're seeing a lot of people refinance their mortgages because now is uh, it's almost criminal if you don't borrow right now with interest rates so low. But I've also heard uh, other people say, and I and I think that uh, the chair said this at some point, maybe to Patrick Anderson that you know, we should be doing this through the budget process. And this type of spending needs that oversight of the General Assembly. We've covered the budget process. And normally, uh, that kind of spending is tucked into a 300 page bill that most of the lawmakers don't read that's voted on at, in the middle of the night. And I don't think that's the type of transparency spending, you know, that we want right now. In this case, voters can make the binary choice on the question individual they have a line item veto on the actual spending they might like question one they might not like question four and that they can make that choice as opposed to the spending getting stuffed into a budget and it all being approved um by by the general assembly that some you know that isn't always ideal either I agree with you about the line item budget. Wouldn't that be nice if we had one in Rhode Island? You know, it would be terrific. Maybe the General Assembly can take that up this year, a line item budget, line item veto. Well, I, I, I open this up to that one. Oh, yeah, that means shades of Dr. Terrific. Shades you know, of Dr. So Pedro. Well <laughs> Dave, go ahead. Yeah, um, uh, I, I'm kind of torn on this as well. I, t Tim has made a couple of points that I was going to make. Uh, that you do have this line item veto aspect of it. But, you know, the reality of it is, and this will be interesting to watch uh, in, in early March when we vote on this, typically in Rhode Island, these bills, or the, these referenda pass. We have a record. Very rarely do we have bond issues that go down. So it'll be interesting to see if the national economy, filtering down to Rhode Island, whether the voters say, you know what? Not this time. Uh, there's too much spending everywhere right now because of COVID. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. The other point I would make is, I just wish there had been much more vetting going on with all of this. Uh, I, I really don't know much about all this. I was reading about it the other day because I, I'm gonna do a mail-in ballot and I was reading through it. And I, I thought, well, these are all great projects. You can't say they're terrible projects, they're good. But do we wanna inc incur that kind of debt? But to Tim's point, if, if you're going to do it, this is the time to do it because money's cheap. Yeah, my only recollection, I think, Dave, was the Rhode Island Heritage Hall of Fame. They were going to do it at the old Narragansett Electric Building. That went down in a flaming mess. I'm not sure why, but they normally do go through. The issue that I had, and I asked Mike DBAs about this. So, look, I don't think anybody could disagree. The Rhode Island Philharmonic, Trinity Rep, they're all good. But, I mean, is, should taxpayers be taking out a mortgage to support nonprofits at this point? That's kind of where I draw the line. So I think you had alluded a little bit to that. Right, right. And again, I, we have said over and over again, these projects aren't a bad idea, but should the taxpayers be on the hook for this? And I'm not sure. I do like what other states do. When they send out the booklet that explains the projects, they actually have a pro and con to it. And that would really, I think, benefit 
the, the uh, residents and the voters of Rhode Island to understand the ups and the downs of voting for these projects. And that is clearly one of the, the downsides. We are now bonding out for nonprofits. And is that something that you want to do? It would, I think, give a lot of voters pause to say, no, I'm not going to do that with taxpayer dollars. I, I'll so, tell you what gives me pause. Quickly, is, quickly. Uh, yeah, is the government uh, deciding ed editorial decisions on pro and con and pamphlets. I, I'm not so sure that that would be a good idea because, uh, Sue, who's, who's writing that? Um, is someone probably who has an interest. Tim, I got to hold you there. In the details. Sir. Folks, we're going to continue the discussion online. It's not over yet. Go to ripbs.org slash lively. That's all the time we have for our broadcast. But again, join us with the bonus segment. Susie Yankee, Tim White, and Dave Lehman, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Come back here next week as the Lively Experiment continues. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by... For more than 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen White, Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program in Rhode Island PBS.